yeah, I don't want to burn bridges, but I do want to enforce some consequences that uh, are very reasonable, which is that uh, I don't want to go in and be updating plugins. And uh, I, I made a whole one page maintenance agreement about this very thing, by the way. Uh, and I don't make people sign it. I just put it out there as, you know, this is the policy here. Um, if you're going to have uh, devs on your site that I don't know what they're doing, they're not coordinating with me. I don't want to touch your plugins anymore. I don't want to update anything. I'm afraid may, may break something, you know, we're, we're not collaborating anymore. So I'm still an hourly resource for you, but that's it. Hey, Bob WP here and welcome to do the woo, the WooCommerce and WordPress builder podcast. This show is brought to you by Avalara, who you can count on to make sure your clients' who shops are tax compliant year-round at Avalara.com. And WS Form, the only form plugin that you need for your clients' who shops. Check them out at WSForm.com. Tell you more about Avalara and WS Form later in the show, but hey, guess what? Zach and Carl are back with another Woo Dev Chat. And this time they bring in Sean Conklin, a WooCommerce website developer. And wow, do they cover the gamut of Woo development. And since I will be busy at WordCamp Europe, and we may be skipping a couple shows, be doing some stuff there, I'm hoping this show will fill your brain with dev stuff to ponder on. I'm sure it will until we get back. So why don't we go ahead and dive right into it? Zach Stepik here with another Woo Dev Chat. And uh, Carl, you're with me as usual. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm glad to not be in Japan anymore. I'm not living in the future, but also not in the cursed time zone, as I was saying. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to have you closer and back in a, a two-hour window of... Uh, normal for me so that's that's always nice um but you had you had a good time in japan love it i'm gonna go back so uh definitely positive experience for sure that's awesome and that all started with you going to wordcamp asia right so yeah i spoke at wordcamp asia nice yeah that's uh that's a a heck of a trip and a great reason to stay in japan for six weeks i i like that um, but hopefully, hopefully I will be at WordCamp US. I do have a ticket. So I do. Have yeah. I hope to see you there. I'll be there for sure. I got a ticket. Awesome. So yeah, that'll, uh, that'll be a good time. Really looking forward to seeing the community there and maybe we'll even record a little bit of, uh, stuff for the podcast while we're there. Do a, uh, a dev chat roundup of all of the people who want to talk about nerdy things with us. And uh, speaking of people who want to talk about nerdy things with us, uh, occasionally we get uh, emails from people who are interested in participating. And our guest today, uh, Sean Conklin, is one of those. Sean, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, I see that... Uh, you know, your submission came through talking about you having developed over 100 WooCommerce websites. Now that's, that's more WooCommerce websites than I've, that's a, a very large number. Um, 
And it's probably been more than that. But, you know, when I say develop, I mean, you know, either build or, or rebuild, retheme or work on significantly. Um, but so it all, all depends on how you want to count it. I'm, I'm just using a round number there. <laughs> well, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of, uh, of WooCommerce sites. I'm sure you've seen a lot of things. Uh, looks like, looks like you've been in the WordPress space since, uh, 2010, uh, and you run codedcommerce.com where I feature a bunch of code. If anybody wants some code snippets or some of my free plugins are on there. And, uh, I mean, my money wise, I, I do uh billable work for clients. So building, supporting, maintaining things like that. But, uh, I do have quite a bit of code on codedcommerce.com. So that, that naturally fits. I was looking at your blog earlier and I, I saw a maybe slightly controversial article title about avoiding WooCommerce staging environments. Oh yes. Um, now I know why before even reading the article, why this is a thing that, that you're talking about. And it's because WooCommerce and the, the data structure of WordPress make it very difficult to, pull changes forward without uh, having collisions with post IDs. There's a, there's a lot, a lot of reasons why, which I get to in that article. So it's a great read. Thank you for pointing that one out. That's I yeah, think that's, no problem. That, that that's a really useful one. But for me, it's all about local host. That's where I do most of my development. Um, and I, in fact, I have other articles up one recently. The most recent post is about using homebrew on a Mac just to set up a, a really fast uh, local environment and switch between sites and stuff like that. Yeah. I use uh, Laravel's valet uh, for my local development environment. So um, really fast, really easy gives me uh, a folder. I put things in automatically that just every, everything becomes a local dom- domain based on the folder it's in. Um, it's so much faster than, pretty much everything else I've ever used. Also a live valet fan. Uh, oh, might have to check it out. They have a nice little, uh, there's a nice open source little Mac app too, that lets you manage the, um, everything from like just a toolbar on at the top. Yeah, that's uh, that's a game changer. I don't have that on my studio machine here because obviously it's in a recording studio. Uh, but the, uh, the work computer does have that little Mac app running. So that's really helpful. Makes it uh, pretty easy to manage. So yeah, it's local development environments are of course important. We, we talk about uh, the importance of testing in local uh, before anything even touches a staging environment uh, pretty frequently. And I push a Git first deployment uh, and version control scheme to most of my customers. So they're having to develop in local because nothing gets committed to a repository otherwise. So that's definitely uh, something I agree with wholeheartedly. So, yeah, I, there's, there's so many gotchas and I, I list them out, but you know, the, the idea that if you don't properly protect it, password wallet, customers might be able to place orders on it accidentally an email can pop off you know we've got a lot of these sites have plugins that send out you know oh waitlist emails or you know in stock notifications or abandoned carts or 
something or another that could land a customer on it. So that can be a real risk. But I've even seen some plugins that talk to cloud services that'll actually share the URL. Like uh, one of them was a, an advanced WooCommerce search plugin. I forgot the name of it, but it was one of those where if you run a search, it caches that search into the cloud and that also serves production. And the search results are going to be like, you know, whatever your staging environment is. Hopefully it blocks localhost. I hope they've at least done that, but that could end up causing somebody on production to do a product search and then click a link that then takes them to staging. I mean, uh, yep. <laughs> we have, uh, in, in the environments that I, I work with things like say elastic press, um, we generally have separate configurations for staging that don't touch the production environment. Uh, just to make sure that we avoid that kind of a collision uh, in the data set itself. So subscriptions was a big one too, um, because we the database has all those renewals queued up. They go in the action scheduler, and if you move that to a staging, and you happen to have uh, subscriptions, subscriptions will uh, put itself into staging mode but not before it'll try and run some renewals that are in the queue. So if your payment gateway is turned on, you, you may have to refund some orders there. I I've seen that before too. Yeah. It tries to detect automatically. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do recommend um, in your staging environments, having things set up to disable action scheduler completely uh, just to make sure that that's never an issue. And mm -hmm. So that that's a, a very easy way to avoid that problem because if Action Scheduler isn't running, then subscriptions can't renew because Action Scheduler is what does all of the renewals. Unless you need Action Scheduler for some of your staging uh, testing, but uh, may, maybe not. It all depends. Yeah, and generally I don't see a need for scheduled actions to run in a staging environment, so... Unless you want to keep it clean, because there are some cleanup jobs that run that, you know, keep the environment a little bit uh, more tidy. Yeah, most of our staging environments are temporal. So um, they're created for a, an individual task purpose, and then they go away. Um, and they may reuse a staging URL, but uh, that is, yeah, they're all temporal in nature. So, and, and that, that right there solves a lot of problems just by not keeping it online for very long. That, that itself solves some of the issues. Yeah. I mean, I disable it with Emir. I disable the action scheduler unless it's run via cron and crons disabled. So, and so that's by default in staging. So, and, and if you want to keep staging up to date, you uh, spend a lot of, uh, a lot of time just trying to keep it up to date, maintaining it unnecessarily too, you know, whereas in local, I, I would typically only activate the plugins I, I need for the, what I'm actually doing on the site. You know, I don't really look at it as something I need to be maintaining all the plugin updates, except for when there's a big operation taking place. So, um, staging because it, it, you know, it's shared amongst others, you know, you have more security concerns, so therefore you need to keep it up to date more. Yeah, and in those cases, the temporal nature helps a lot because staging is built off of uh, a staging branch in Git, and that branch is generally, um, it has a feature branch pushed to it, 
uh, when it's ready to be tested. So that feature branch overwrites everything. And at the time that the feature branch gets pushed to staging, um, the database gets pulled down from production at that moment in time as well. So generally don't run into a lot of issues there. Yeah. Well, you've, you've got it really ironed out. Most of my clients are on the smaller side. So they, Mm -hmm. their idea of staging would be going to WP engine, click out a staging, copy it directly from production. You get the whole enchilada and that's where you run into a lot of these issues. Works really well for content based websites and not really well for complex applications built on top of WordPress. And with all the plugin licenses that like to turn themselves off to, those are, uh, you know, maybe not the top grade plugins that do that, but there's definitely a bunch that will. I'll pick on Elementor Pro, for example. They don't like a lot of the staging URLs and they start turning features off for you, which is not so fun. There are a number of plugin companies that are increasingly supporting Composer for bringing plugins into a project. So as long as they've added support for private packages, uh, you can generally include license information in an environment file that then is brought in during the build process. Um, and that will generally work for most uh, major plugins now. So that's what we tend to do. Uh, get as much of the activation of those license keys into the build process as possible. Uh, and that way, when we have to update a license key, if that happens, uh, it's updated in one place that's in version control. These are the concerns when you're building, you know, for, um, when you're building something that you want to have hardened for security and for ease of deployment long-term, uh, you just have to, you have to focus in on these things to get them into the right place. And that's a lot of what we do. Which it sounds like you've done a great job of. So again, I'll, I'll preface my, my article is going to apply more to the masses. You're, you're definitely high end. You've got these things figured out. You're beyond what I've done with <laughs> staging, I could tell. But, uh, but still in general, people should be wary of, of staging environments and the pitfalls that they may not necessarily think of. And then you know, face, face these issues, even on a smaller site, you know, it doesn't have to be enterprise level, just <laughs> on a smaller and, site, you can start to have these issues. It depends a lot on your plugins. Of course, yep. the answer to a lot of things in WordPress and WooCommerce is depends on the plugin and whatever you do, do not create new products in your staging environment and then sync your database from staging to production. Oh, no. Because if you do that and you've had orders on your live site, those orders will go away. And uh, that's a problem. So, yeah, that is why I hope uh, that custom order tables, the high-performance order storage, is only the beginning of getting our WooCommerce data out of the core post and post meta tables, because if products were in their own table, well, then this wouldn't be a problem. If, uh, you know, if every data, you still shouldn't do that either you, way. You shouldn't like no. general, 
general practice is you want the code to move up and the data to move down, basically. So code goes from dev staging production, data goes from production staging to development, basically, and not the other way around. Obviously, there's exceptions, but they should be really exceptions and uh, not something you do. You should be very careful. Take backups. Take backups before you do anything, too. <laughs> For sure. And if you do need to launch uh, you know, a new line of products or something where you do want to stage that content somewhere, use an export-import, which Woo ha- for products already has built into core. Uh, export those to a CSV file. Um, maybe even test importing that CSV in a local environment just to double-check your work. QA, right? And then uh, you can then launch that in production. But WordPress also core has a built-in XML exporter importer for various post types and uh, media by month, for example, and things like that. So there's a lot of ways to piece it together in production, step by step, the safest way to go, do one thing, test, you know, and just continue. This is why releases for e-commerce sites can take a couple hours to do, because even after you've prepped all that, you've got multi-steps to, to do a release. You're not just pushing code. You're also changing configs, updating those, moving content over, testing at every step of the way. Yep. And, you know, there are some very cool ways to, uh, handle doing live deployments in a way that the site doesn't go down or and you don't have to take the site down completely. But it's really, really hard to do that well in WooCommerce. So um, in most of these cases, you know, when you're doing a major site release, you, you're probably going to have to put your site into maintenance mode to make sure no new orders come in while you do all this work. You know, unless you're not doing a ton, if you're doing a large release where there's numerous products and a whole bunch of uh, front end work that's, that's changing, you know, you're, you're best off doing it during your most non peak hours and taking the site completely down while you get it all in place and working and then bringing it back up when it's done. I I did it that way just a couple weeks ago. I was uh, switching a site from Elementor to to Blocks, full store editing, or full site editing, as some might call it, right? Um, And yeah, because that was a theme change, all the templates had to be set up. I I had to do maintenance mode for about a half an hour, which I, you know, at what, eight o'clock at night. So, well, it wasn't so bad, but yeah, normally you can just put cart and checkout into maintenance mode. That way people can still browse the catalog while you're making changes, but not if it's a theme change. <laughs> and I think we're going to see a lot more theme uh, moves into blocks. I would love to talk about block themes uh, at, at some point today, by the way. Uh, I relish the idea that your theme could simply be just a few little files that just turn on full site editing that really it takes the theme decision out completely. Now you don't even need a theme. You just, just a few files that engage the, uh, the block editor for all the templates. I love it. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump there for a little while. Um, you know, when full site editing first came out, uh, probably the first major use that I saw of a full site editing theme was, uh, Pagely doing their site redesign, right? That was a, a very prominent uh, site redesign that was using all of the FSE features, but 
they started that during beta and then had to change it all because it changed quite a bit for the first production version. And now it's changed even more and it's gotten more powerful as time has gone on. We've learned some things along the way, like how important it is to make sure people understand how to create a menu. Um, because that was not easy for a little while. Uh, we went from having, in my opinion, the easiest menu editing experience in content management systems across the board to, um, suddenly our way to create navigation became mystery meet navigation itself. Um, and it looks like we've ironed out some of those issues at this point, but that's the fun of open source software, right? We get to innovate and change. And sometimes the experiments don't work. And sometimes we have to fix that. Uh, but we may go a full release without having that fully fixed, right? Yeah, my own site, um, which I sort of treat as a guinea pig for for some of this, I had redone, what did I use? Not the Bloxy theme, the um, block base theme. Well, first there was the t- 2021, like, uh, what do they call it? 2021 dash blocks. There was that. That was total dev track. But the first actual theme I could think of before 2022 and then now 2023, we had um, block base, which automatic was using as its base for the block themes that they were developing. So that was just a vanilla you know, thing to start with. But I love the idea now that you just make your own theme and it's just the theme.json with just some definitions in it and index.php. Um, uh, an index.html sitting inside of your, uh, uh, I think it's called the templates folder. And that's it. That's all you need to engage the builder. And then it's just a blank canvas. Just build away at that point, design away. Well, and I, I find it very interesting because, you know, there, there was a long time where as WordPress developers, we were trying to figure out how to uh, how to do things like allow plugins to override uh, or have their their templates, their pieces of HTML and and PHP that they output overwritten by themes, right? And now we've gotten to a point where a whole bunch of stuff that's part of WordPress core just by its nature can be themed by blocks, but that it's all tied to this concept of everything being a post with post meta. Uh, so when we move into blocks in the WooCommerce space, there's a lot more custom development that's having to happen, but it's still, it's still very thin that development. It's still, it's not like you're, you're building giant things. Like I'm doing a lot of short code. I'll, I'll take code snippets I wrote uh, before and I'll just make them and add short code and then pop that short code into the block template or, or the page. If you're editing a page or post that way you could bring that dynamic PHP output. You could enqueue scripts and styles if you need to. Um, when it comes to styles, I'm really liking the, um, the, the register block style where you can actually make the style variants within the native blocks. Uh, like for example, uh, list, the list block, you want to make a horizontal version of a list. It's just a, a few lines of CSS and you could, uh, you know, register that in PHP. I do a lot of the PHP sites still. I haven't really gotten into the node side of blocks yet. I've played around with it a little bit. 
I did add a block into one of my plugins, but generally speaking, I stick to the PHP side of block manipulation, filtering render block, for example, but the short codes is the, is the go-to. And we recently had a little um, issue with the latest version of WordPress that fixed a security uh, bug and, and ended up breaking short codes and block templates, which I reported they fixed it the next day. Uh, I'm sure a bunch of people reported it, not taking credit there, but I participated, which is a whole nother topic. We all need at QA is everybody's job. That That's another discussion, but uh, it's one that we need to have as well. Anyway, sorry to break your train of thought. No, it's okay. You can break any train of thought here. You're the guest. That's why you're here. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm an ADHD uh, mofo. So basically I don't, I don't say on, no track ever yeah there are no rails on this podcast uh we we don't have rails personally so why would we keep them on our podcast so we're gonna start the shopify talk now then on on why woo is better (laughs) yeah let's uh i'm i mean i'm i'm i have a lot to say there too i think we all have a lot to say about like (laughs) shopify versus woocommerce versus just getting getting WooCommerce to behave. Blocks ties into that too, because, you know, so this actually bridges these two topics because Blocks is the official answer that provides a free core built-in fully supported solution, right? Would you agree, Carl? Sorry to interrupt you, but I just had to, these tie, these tie right together. No, no, no. I mean, I, I actually, I'm, I'm pretty dissociated. I'm, I'm more, I'm full stack, but I, Definitely prefer backend work, um, and and I mean I've I've been assistant men since I'm like sixteen, so like I do like the full thing. And Emir is a hosting solution, but it's I think what people get frustrated about too with Shopify is not just like the front end stuff; it's just the scaling stuff. Um, it's the it's the performance that's the store. Like if you want to have more than two admins on your site, for example, you got to go to their uh, higher level, the next higher level. Or I think it's two admins on the basic and the mid grade is five admins. You're limited at that. And that's to me is just silly. Well, and even beyond that, let's just talk about the ability to do things that exist outside of the black box known as Shopify, right? So if you want to do anything that requires custom code, yeah, that would be in a custom app that is proprietary to your company and not something that's offered on the marketplace for everyone to use. Well, that functionality requires Shopify Plus. And the difference in price there from basic is going from $29 a month to $2,000 a month because writing custom code should require spending $2,000 a month, right? Yeah. And of course you still have to hire the developer as well. And, uh, Shopify developers, uh, because it's, you know, maybe a bit newer and, uh, they're probably not as uh, affordable as us, uh, hardcore open source, uh, uh, devs out there with what is codable at now they're at what one twenty an hour. Um, Upwork is somewhere around that too. So I, I kind of roughly, uh, you know, kind of match what what's out there. You know, for, so I I believe it's a great value. Uh, WordPress devs, we we do a lot. We do, and you know, not let's let's not even talk about the Magento developers that I've heard about that charge two thousand dollars an hour. Or yeah, 
I mean, Magento is a completely different beast. I've definitely touched Magento. Like, that's a different beast entirely. Uh, <laughs> you don't really touch Magento unless you've got a Home Depot budget. Um, it's a bit like Drupal and um, the education sector, you know? Like, it's just, if you deal with Drupal, you have to go through Acquia and you need you need a college slash university tech budget Uh <laughs> to to deal with them yeah it's you know it, it's really interesting to to look at how competitors to woocommerce are are positioned and let's just talk about that subject as a whole for a moment right uh you have your software as a service companies you have your shopify you have your big commerce you have you know uh, even some some tools like equid right but then you have this enterprise level e-commerce platform uh, space where the SAP hybrids of the world live and you know IBM demandware and Salesforce commerce and Adobe's hosted version of Magento Enterprise called Adobe Commerce Cloud that ties Net NetSuite has one too. Uh-huh. That ties very deeply to their Adobe Experience Manager, right? And all of these tools, in, in comparison to WooCommerce, are harder to develop for. They are a much higher barrier to entry to doing anything custom. Uh, and they are expensive. They're very expensive. Now, Shopify and BigCommerce have plans that are focused more toward you know smaller store owners and in the software as a service space you can do that because you know that your smaller stores are probably in most cases not going to become bigger stores so they're still paying for more than what they use and then that subsidizes the people who may still be on the low plan that are doing medium plan business right and so, you know, the software as a service model allows for that subsidization of, or subsidizing of other uh, people who are paying more for less or less for more. And so that's really helpful. O over time. So it's not just, you know, it, 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 is it maybe short-term thinking that sends some people the direction of uh, cloud proprietary SaaS? Um, because... You got it. You get it. You know that's month after month after month after month. That's percentages of your revenue. It really that's going to add up, and they're going to turn up the heat on that frog over time. I mean, YouTube used to have no ads, then it became one ad. Now it's two or maybe three. You know, I, I don't even want to watch YouTube anymore <laughs> unless you get their paid version, right? So what what Shopify going to do? They have the full control there. So and of course WooCommerce is managed by a company too, but you have the benefits of being distributed, community based a lot of feedback going on more of a nonprofit type of a mentality i would say is what we what we mm. seem to have would you agree with that yeah i mean i mean there's a squeeze I, there's a squeeze from woocommerce i mean if you install a vanilla uh woocommerce install and you see like the upsells there there's upselling but yeah i mean they're absolutely going to try and maximize the spend that you have on things that automatic makes money on that's good business 
it's not something that you know i think is uh is a dark pattern or anything well you've got to fund the project right exactly exactly yeah you got to fund the project exactly but it's still it's still pretty uh similar i find um between both products i would say like if, if from that experience standpoint want to be a hero when it comes to your clients you built the site now you want to make sure that with your clients woo shop that they are insured that they have accurate sales tax rates in place especially in case of an audit avalara is a leader in automating sales tax and compliance for businesses selling online both big and small if you're setting up a new WooCommerce site, get your clients set for sales. If you currently manage several client sites, it may be time to make that recommendation. Either way, get their WooCommerce extension and let your clients take advantage of a 60-day free trial. There's also great resources for either you or your clients on their site where you can learn more about sales tax calculation among other services like returns and exemptions. So for peace of mind, avalara.com has you covered. As a developer or designer, you need to have a robust form plugin to help your clients grow their shops. And WS Form is exactly that. With features to help you with creating dynamic product pricing, conditional fields, multi-step forms, and other Woo customizations, you really can't go wrong. And imagine a form plugin that lets you create a donate or name your price products, lets you place the add to cart button where you want to place it, take care of complex price calculations, and even add color swatch selectors. These are just some of the things you can do with WS Form. It's a form plugin built for developers, but easy to hand over to your clients. Just check it out at wsform.com and find their Woo extension over on the WooCommerce Marketplace. I think there's a lot. I don't know for you, Sean, but like I'm a lot of the frustration to move to Shopify is performance of like when you start adding a lot of plugins and behaviors and getting that to behave correctly. Like I was just in a call right before this and it was like, they were using event manager, uh, the events uh, tribes, like event schedule, event calendar plugin plus tickets plus this. And it was just, even with object caching, you were looking at like 300 queries, SQL queries. But see in Shopify, you can't even see that. You can't even debug it because you don't have access to the, to the SQL, uh, system yeah but it just performs better no what what's your experience so uh, let me talk about one one of my bigger clients who uses both woo and shopify and she she likes to say woo makes sense when you're selling about a million a year or more um i i don't really see it that way but uh basically what she's saying is if, if it's a more smaller more experimental site in in her view she perceives shopify as more of a do-it-yourself that she could do where she doesn't need to have a dev get involved but then we always run into these problems and we keep coming back to that well you don't have that problem in woo do you you know wink wink um can you give an example yeah give an example well the not the number of admins thing i i i uh, a friend of mine who works on shopify stores uh, quite a bit told me to install the speedian plugin to fix uh page speed mobile because i monitor 
MyWoo sites and her Shopify sites. And she's my client. I want to give her, you know, oh, you got an accessibility problem here. Oh, you got a performance problem there. Look at this page, right? I monitor that. Monitoring is part of what we should be doing as as developers. Um, and so I tried to install the Speedian plugin in Shopify, but oops, your account's been suspended. So I emailed the client, what's going on? Oh, I hit my five. I had to demote you temporarily. Let me see who else I could boot off before I can let you back in, right? And I'm, I'm looking at, at her apps, and sure, it's the same number you would see in WooCommerce generally. And again, performance-wise, it's having uh, mobile page speed trouble. Uh, in fact, it's one of the lowest scoring sites in my whole matrix that I'm monitoring right now uh, are, are some of the Shopify sites. So so there's a... there's a per- okay, Interesting, because that goes against a lot of what I hear, actually. There's a perception versus reality in Woo. It's more editing product that's slow for the admin, so that creates that perception. But what really counts is the front end and what Google is seeing and what your users are experiencing. So perhaps, and again, I'm looking at my sites that I've already cleaned up. That probably would segue us into a whole new topic about WooCommerce cleaning, right? You want a WooCommerce <laughs> site to be fast and to, to blow Shopify away? Clean it out. Make it, you know, consolidate your plugins. Use good quality, trusted plugins. Monitor performance. Clean the database. Keep things tidy. I have to explain that all the time when I onboard people on Emir because it's more sensitive to that. And it's like, it's more sensitive because there, everything's like moves is not on the server so latency has a more of an issue and it's just i have to explain to them like you can't just like necessarily toss something in and most woocommerce like yourself you know this like the expert and the enterprise agencies know this like you can't you have to actually go in and tweak the performance based on the actual like profile of the store you know it's it's really interesting because a lot of the work that i do comes out of badly performing WooCommerce sites. And, you know, so when you said the list of things that you do, um, it, it seemed like you had been going to the school of Zach for a while, uh, because these are the things I've been talking about since, you know, 2015 and where those performance things really come in are, you know, when you start to have massive traffic events, right? And what's massive for a store? Well, uh, I generally like to say that a massive traffic event for a WooCommerce store is two times its normal traffic or higher, right? Because that's an order of magnitude beyond what they've normally seen. And so if they've never had a problem, but they suddenly experience an order of magnitude more than what they've seen, they may start to have problems. So, yeah, and and that is where your hosting is so important. It is, and why you know you don't want to cheap out on hosting, um, but you also want to te- again test. I mean, we can load test if we need to. That mm-hmm. we have a lot more freedoms within WordPress and WooCommerce to be able to do these tests, and if. You know, if you're concerned that, you know, you're going to get a giant spike, you know, let's let's look at it. Uh, and this totally depends on your your hosting and what they allow. But I'm just going to use Cloudways as an example. They, uh, you know, that's a uh, uh, basically a VPS type hosting. 
optimized for WordPress. I got server charts in there. I can go see what the CPU looks like, what it's looked like over the last 30 days, etc. You could drill that down. You could connect new Relic. You can install the query monitor plugin and take a look at your real-time queries that are happening in your admin and your front end and look at all the environment variables and, you know, is my database buffer high enough? That was one of the things on local. If you, if you read my article on um, Homebrew and local, one of the things <clears throat> that I always turn up is my NODB buffer pool because these are good sized databases. And if you don't allocate enough RAM to that, you're going to have performance issues. So any performance issue you have at scale amplifies. So it's really important to identify and to resolve these as much as possible. And the easiest thing people can do is reduce their number of plugins. That's just going with law of averages. I know two plugins are not the same. One may be giant, another may be tiny. So you can't necessarily just purely look at count. But I generally look at I expect a Woo store to have a good 25 plugins. And if it grows to 35 and you're on a, a private server, I've had a lot of success with that. As you get beyond that, it, it's it's becoming unmaintainable. How do you keep track of all these vendors and their updates, compatibility issues, etc.? It's just too much. You mean 112 plugins is too many, especially when five of them are sliders? Well, there you go. That's the thing. How come some of these sites, I I find abandoned plugins. I find three different slider plugins. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, the scientific process. Okay. Go back to elementary school here. You measure before you, you, you know, you run the experiment, you measure after, and then you make a decision. Did it win or did it lose? If it wins, you keep it and you get rid of its predecessors. If it loses, you get rid of the experiment. You clean up after yourself. It's very simple. You know, you're in the kitchen cooking a meal. You got to clean the kitchen up before you get to the next meal, right? So why do people have three sliders on their site? <laughs> it's, it boggles my mind. In some cases, it's just simply a matter of a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. and they buy one of these kitchen sink themes that's designed to do everything. And it comes with five slider plugins and try them all. They had, they bundle instructions on how to install all five of them, but they don't tell you that you probably shouldn't. Yeah. And again, this is where blocks is a, is a big solution is to standardize around some of the common stuff that people do when laying out their store or their site so that they're they're really, and again, there's a lot of different slider plugins. Jetpack would be the official one, right? It's that and a whole bunch of other things. But there's single service slider plugins you could look at that are very block friendly. Um, actually, uh, I'll give you three single service block plugins that I use a lot. Right when I set up just a a virgin block theme without without any of these big cadence type builder add ons or anything like that, just purest blocks. There's one called. Uh, uh, block animations that I use a lot when I, when I want to have pictures fade in things like that. That's a really useful one. And it's a simple single service plugin. Um, another one is called create block theme and I can load fonts with that Google fonts or custom font files. Uh, now I don't think you can, it's probably not a good idea to install those fonts into the 2023 theme. You want to make a child theme or just make your own virgin block theme and use that plugin to manage your fonts. I I do that one all the time. Uh, Another one is called lightweight accordion. I use that a lot for the little dink downs and it also loads uh, FAQ schema, which is a lot of people are asking for that for their SEO. So those three are my go-to kind of block add-ons. And I look at them as 
you know, they're, they're small, they're uh, well-maintained, they, they solve uh, an important need and they, they're not the kitchen sink. They're not the Swiss army knife. They're a precision solution. So I really want to put a shout out to those three plugins. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really just building the stack that works for you and works efficiently for your clients. That's, that's the job here. When we're a WordPress and WooCommerce developer, the job is to build something that, that serves the client's purposes while managing maintainability and making sure that the site continues to perform even after we hand it off to the client and they do whatever they want to do to it. And that's where things get hairy is once we hand it off. Yeah. Well, and especially if you're, you know, we, we talked about monitoring earlier. One of the things I monitor is admins on the site because um, one of the telltale signs that maybe I'm not communicating well enough with a client is I see another dev show up on their site and I need to go have the conversation on who is this person? What's their role? Maybe they just shouldn't have been an admin. Maybe it's a new staff member that they meant to make a shop manager or something like that. That Half the time, that's what it is. The other half the time, it's, well, we wanted to bring in another designer to help with designs or whatever, whatever. And at that point, I'm like, all right, well, I'll still maintain your site, but I need to communicate with this person. We need to have a meeting. I need to know what they're up to. Uh, you know, We need to be collaborating on releases and testing. Otherwise, I'm going to have to turn my monitoring off and um, only be available on call for you. I, I'm not going to actively monitor and maintain your site because there's another dev doing God knows what to your site. Uh, I'm, you know, you still have a budget with me. We'll still work together, but I'm just an on demand. I'm like a white label, you know, some additional resource for you. I'm not going to go away and leave you high and dry because hopefully this other dev will disappear and I'll get the work back. <laughs> it's also just as a consultant, I don't think it's, it's just, it's not a good, it's the burning bridges that way is kind of a not useful way to do it, honestly. Well said. Yeah, I don't want to burn bridges, but I do want to enforce some consequences that uh, are very reasonable, which is that uh, I don't want to go in and be updating plugins. And uh, I, I made a whole one page maintenance agreement about this very thing, by the way. Uh, and I don't make people sign it. I just put it out there as, you know, this is the policy here. Um, if you're going to have uh, devs on your site that I don't know what they're doing, they're not coordinating with me. I don't want to touch your plugins anymore. I don't want to update anything. I'm afraid man, it may break something. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not collaborating anymore. So I'm still an hourly resource for you, but that's it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I have, I've been in the nightmare situation where, somebody whose site I built decided they wanted to hire somebody cheaper and they, they hired a designer who was really good at using visual composer. And, uh, they began the process of building all new pages that they were making with visual composer on a site that was well optimized and, well-tuned to what it needed to be. And then suddenly pages I had built were getting rebuilt with visual composer because this other person didn't know how to edit it without it. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely situations where, you know, a new developer will come in and, or if can you even call them a developer at that point, a new 
person. Well, I love it when it's a page when it's a page bill you've never heard of. Oh, we found this person who's half your rate who uh, you know, probably fresh out of college or something like that, but they're, you know, they, they want to use breakdance. And I'm like, what is break? You know, it's one of the newer ones, right? <laughs> I'm just like in the era of blocks, why do we have cadence and breakdance gaining popularity? I, I mean, people should be going more purist blocks. Cadence is gaining popularity because it's blocks, right? Um, right. Well, it's, it, uh, but it's got, its own ways of doing things that blocks can already do. And that's my big concern. It does. And that's because it existed before blocks could do those things. So without cadence blocks wouldn't be as functional as they are today because cadence pushed blocks forward. Yeah. And, and Divi pushed visual building forward. Yep. Divi pushed visual building forward and visual composer did before Divi did right. Elementor did too. So did Beaver builder. All of these people who've helped, bring us to where we are now. Uh, but I would, I would say that, you know, breakdance is a very different beast than, than cadences. Uh, I actually like breakdance, but I like it because it eliminates the concept of themes completely. If you choose to turn off themes and then it's just a page builder. Um, and it's a great experience for an end user. Um, and that's where that's where blocks are still a little bit behind is in creating an end user experience that consistently is great every time um yeah, but we're getting there every release improves the user experience of the core gutenberg uh block editor and Every time we push a little bit further forward, we get closer to not needing these other tools as much. I'll say that uh, my friends in the accessibility community love Generate Press because the strong support. I, I had I never even used Generate Press, to, so for me, I'm just like it. It's really it should be blocks. It should be the you know we should be rallying around the standard system that we you know that represents us, the community, but. At the same time, I understand they get really good support. And so that builder, I'm told, does accessibility really well. Of course, so does Blocks. But it, 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 in their minds, it was about the support and the representation. They're getting the love that they needed from that builder. Um, you know, therefore, you know, they're, they're going to stick with it for a well, while. Well, there are still people out there who aren't ready to make the move forward to the Block Editor. And, you know, this is... It's interesting because WordPress is now old enough at 20, nearly old enough to drink, right? But WordPress is now old enough at 20 that um, it is getting to a point where there are people who have been in WordPress long enough that they're getting resistant to change. Oh yeah, like like me not getting into Node, for example, right, or into yeah, React, React and and that side, the JavaScript side of of blocks. It's all about vanilla. JS. Oh my god, ChatGPT is the best for that. I have to like, I have to say, like, I'm using the <laughs> shit out of uh, ChatGPT for that stuff to to write your JavaScripts for you. No, not write it, but it's honestly, if you're in a, um, it's. I, this is a this is a terrible segue when we have ten minutes left to record. But basically, I've been talking and 
teaching some other developers, like the best way to think of chat GPT is like as pair programming, if you're familiar with what pair programming is. So it's imagining you have a junior developer that you're basically working with. Um, So they're going to be wrong and you shouldn't assume that anything you ask is correct, but they will usually know some things better than you do. Um, especially on the language that you don't use as often. Like I do, I do some JavaScript, but it's usually more node for the backend. Like, so, but if, but if, if I wanted to do some stuff, I could just ask it. And even for WooCommerce, like even for WooCommerce, like I'm not a, I don't work with WooCommerce all the time, but I'm like, how would I do this? And then it would show me something. And then I'm like, oh, I know where to look in the code now. Uh, and things like that yeah it's really good at finding like the the right action hook or filter uh and giving you boilerplate code for using those things oh it still gets it wrong like i asked for order complete it it, it, like i asked for order complete email and it just did uh email email enabled order complete but it's customer underscore order complete oh yeah it's wrong constantly so and and this is where I think that Microsoft actually is getting the naming right on AI because the things that they're building, they're calling copilots, just like GitHub copilot. So now Microsoft has internalized that copilot idea in all of their AI across the company. So the office suite is getting a copilot that's probably going to be clippy. Um, but there's going to be a co-pilot, right? And they're all there to sit alongside you and help you do your work, not do it for you. And that's that's where the true power is right now in AI, is in having something that can assist you in doing your work more efficiently. To think of the inventor of Clippy, I mean, wow, what a legacy. Yeah, yeah. It looks like you're writing an an email. Would you like help with that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to find a Clippy app for the Mac. I got to bring that. Oh, Clippy was great. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, you, you look at these, these innovations and these things that are happening and what, you know, I have a friend who's working on using AI inside Photoshop to do really cool stuff like taking every layer and removing its background by typing, remove the background from all layers. These these are really cool things that just get rid of the busy work, right? It doesn't change the creativity. It, It gets rid of the busy work. And imagine when the first company decides, you know what? we're going to release an AI powered layer that sits on top of Gutenberg. Uh, One of the things that we really need that for is alt text, you know, in the accessibility community that especially with these stores with giant image catalogs, um, you know, I I've seen some of like 20,000 images in it in the media library. And if they're missing critical alt text, AI could really help. It's not, I, I wouldn't say, Reliant at a hundred percent, but it can really help describe that image enough to where you could just quickly, yep, that's good. Yep, that's ooh, let's fix this one. You know, something that gets you part of the way there, not all the way. 
right? And then give you, gives you a way to review the work that it's done and accept it or modify it and then accept it. And the, that's really where the, the power is, is in reducing the amount of this busy work that we have to do, right? If I, if I could tell an AI that was built into WooCommerce, please take this CSV that the customer gave me and figure out how to import it without me having to worry about what the, the headers are or anything, you know, here's a CSV, please figure out what, how this mapping should happen. And AI was doing that analysis for me. A lot of the busy work of going through that stuff could just go away. And that's, that's what we should be focusing on using AI for is taking away the busy work. Yeah. You know, I tell you one, one of the things in, in woo that has been a challenge is when a client um, brings me a, a bunch of spreadsheets of inventory that have variations. And I need to now take this uh, spreadsheet of inventory and break these variations out into the attribute columns so that I can import it into woo and have it automatically set up the, you know, all the product variations, import them all. And that, that's a very time intensive, you know, my, I got to keep taking my glasses off and strange your <laughs> eyes staring at spreadsheets for hours on end. Um, although it's good billable work, I must say. Um, but yeah, I mean, if AI could help me with that, I'm all for it. Yeah. And I think that's an area where we're just going to see more and more growth in the WordPress space and WooCommerce. You know, we, we need tools that use artificial intelligence to make our jobs easier and to make our clients more money. Because in the end, when you're working as an e-commerce developer, there is one rule, there's one law, and that is store owners need to make more money. That's what they do, right? Scaling their business is all about making them more money. It doesn't matter how that happens in the long run, whether it's performance optimization or search engine optimization or helping them launch a new feature that gives their clients reward points that they get to come back and spend so that you're increasing the number of return purchases, right? It It's all about increasing average order value, increasing customer lifetime value, and making more money. And if we can use AI and AI tools to help our customers make more money, then I'm all here for the, the AI revolution. Yeah, just don't don't trust the code that it generates. You still need that human review. I mean, when I when I think of I would look somebody would have me like bring a Wix site over and I would look at the generated source and just be like And that's oh, not even gosh. AI. This is I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put your Wix site on the left side of my screen, <clears throat> you know, the builder, whatever builder I was using at the time on the right side, and I'm just gonna lay this thing out myself because uh, you know, I need that that code to be good. I, I don't want to bring in a bunch of junk code, which Gutenberg has become a lot better now at uh, at cleaning up. Although those in the accessibility community tell me copy paste from like Word into Google Docs and then from Google Docs into Gutenberg. Yeah, I use I actually use uh, text edit quite frequently as an intermediary between whatever document I'm going from into you know, Gutenberg or whatever other editor I'm using just because 
I like using a tool that strips formatting in in between the two tools. So, um, yeah, I do that with with code with the Visual Studio Code all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm with you there. Strip yeah. the formatting and get it in there as raw text, and you know, trust the theming that you've done, whether that's in styling how blocks are displayed or in setting up an element or, or a breakdance theme. Right. Um, but, uh, set, trust that to do the styling and just provide the content. So, well, we've definitely covered the gamut here today. We, uh, we took a journey through WooCommerce development, uh, and, you know, it was a, a nice little jaunt. I was, uh, Happy to be your guide during this uh, this tour today. Sean, where can people find more information about you? We've, we've shared your website, uh, and we'll have it linked uh, here to Coded Commerce. But uh, where can they find you on social media? Well, the best place I would say uh, word, my WordPress.org profile has, has all the links. Or go to CodedCommerce.com, C-O-D-E-D, Commerce.com, and I've got all the stuff there on my contact page. Um, but yeah, my own site, or you could just email me, Sean at codedcommerce.com. I'm happy to provide some free tips here and there. Um, obviously I do this work for a living, so can't go too far, but I'm happy to point you in the right direction at least. And if you too would to like to take the journey that Sean took today of becoming a guest of the Woo Dev Chat, uh, feel free to use the form on the do the woo website to submit a request and uh if you're lucky we'll put you in the hot seat too sean it was a pleasure having you here today and i hope that uh our listeners have gotten value from having you here as a guest today thank you zach and carl i appreciate the opportunity yeah thanks hey bob wp here and i warned you nicely though blocks performance full site editor not more I don't even remember, but it was the optimal dev chat. Would like to thank Avalara WS Form again. And if you are on your way to WordCamp Europe, make sure and to find both of their booths and tell them do the woo sent you. Of course, you can also check them out at avalara.com and wsform.com. So until the next time, keep on doing the woo.